0: So, we're going to carry on with Luke 23, getting closer and closer to the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. Let's just uh, start with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we again come to you, never tiring of your love and of the love that you show to us in the, the death of your Son. We pray that you will open our eyes now, that we might feel and see how it was for him a little bit more, and that... In him we might see our representative and that in him we might find comfort and identity and that his life and his death and his salvation, his eternal life might be ours. So please help us, Father, and strengthen us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Right, so Luke 23, Pilate is desperately trying to release Jesus. I will therefore chastise him. (laughs) It was necessary for him to release one to them at the feast. Now, it's the the Passover, and every Passover, they had this custom that the Romans would release a criminal who was condemned to death, to sort of represent how Israel were released from, uh, from slavery. So, yeah, he's hoping that he can get Jesus released on that basis. Uh, Yeah, it's Passover, always release one person to you. Let's, you know, I'll I'll give you this Jesus guy. But no, no, they don't want that. So, as I said yesterday, and I shall repeat it again because I find it a very powerful thing, that, that Pilate is presented in history as a man without any conscience. A man without conscience. But when you read the record of him dealing with the Lord Jesus. He comes over as somebody terribly struggling with his conscience. And I suggested that the resolution of the history and of the record that you have in the Bible is not difficult. Yes, he was a man without conscience who just said, oh yeah, let's, uh, let's scribble 15 men, let's scribble that guy over there, let's torture that fella to death and all that sort of thing. Yeah, he had no conscience, absolutely. But, When it came to his encounter with Jesus, oh, his conscience is touched. And I said that that means that everybody has got a conscience for Jesus. Everybody has got a conscience for God. And that means that when you preach to people, when you talk to people about Jesus, you are not dealing with sort of a a totally concrete wall. That people have got this conscience for Jesus underneath, behind that. And they may act all tough, like, oh, I don't believe in all that stuff. Everybody does. And it's the same with us. We may act like, you know, oh, I have no conscience that I'm... No, 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 don't touch me about that stuff. I'm not interested. It means nothing to me. Of course it means everything to you. That in your conscience you know, actually, that Jesus died and rose again. You read the stories of how uh, the old missionaries used to rock up in some place, say on an island somewhere in the Pacific, where they'd never heard about Jesus. And you read the accounts of their response, the response to them, that when they preached about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, dying and resurrecting for you, for your sins, people for some reason said, oh wow, yeah, I believe that. I I will accept that. Even though they suffered and got beaten up and persecuted by the rest of their tribe and all that sort of thing. So, what I'm saying is that as soon as you encounter Jesus, this touches a chord in your conscience. And I gave the example of when I was a young guy, just, well actually I grew up not here, but in Lewisham, just down the road, going around, knocking on people's doors, selling double glazing, trying to. And, you know, people look at you in a certain way, and I'm uh, pitiful too, you're the young bloke, you know, with a tie on, you know, trying to sell double glazing. But I also, on Saturday mornings, used to go on those same streets preaching the Jesus, and people's reaction was totally different. Oh, no, you could tell their body language was different. You're talking about Jesus. Ooh. So we've all got a conscience, and we need to just surrender. Stop acting tough. Stop acting like, oh, no, no, not for me. Oh, no, no. I'm, I'm all right. I'm all sorted out. No, you're not sorted out. Who's sorted out? do tell me you're sorted out. Nobody is. Um, And it is for us to respond, to humble ourselves and say, yes, I will go the way of conscience. So, Pilate is struggling with his conscience, although he's got all the power, humanly, to do what he wants. And he's got this opportunity to release Jesus, so he thinks. Because every, um, every Passover, there was a... A thing whereby, by tradition, he released a condemned criminal. And he's thinking, oh great, well I'll let Jesus off then. No, no, they said, no, we want Barabbas. Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, one who had been cast into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. And Pilate spoke to them again, desiring to release Jesus. But they shouted, saying, crucify, crucify him. Well, who was this uh, Barabbas? Well, literally, bar Abba, Abba, is father, Bar, son of, the son of the father. So this guy is like a kind of a fake Jesus. Because Jesus was the son of God, right? The son of the father. But Barabbas, the son of the father, yeah, he's a fake Jesus. And they would say, oh, but we want him. A guy who had been put in prison for mass murder riot etc and kill Jesus now just what a couple of days before this Jesus had entered Jerusalem sitting on a donkey and the crowds had been screaming Hosanna Hosanna blessed is the king who comes in, uh, in the name of his father oh yeah yeah they, they love Jesus And the Jews said, we can't possibly arrest this Jesus because they all think that he's wonderful. The crowds were screaming. They were throwing their jackets on the the ground so that Jesus on the donkey could uh, could walk over them, could ride over them. But (laughs) now, two days later, crucify him, crucify him. And as you know, they did crucify him, and three days later he rose again, and forty days later he ascended to heaven, and then the disciples started to preach the gospel. And crowds of people said, "Oh yeah, wonderful, yes, yes, we want to be baptised. Three thousand people got baptised in one day, and then another two thousand. And the, the authorities are like, What can we do? All these thousands of people want, uh, want Jesus. You see how fickle people are. Fickle means changeable. People are so changeable. One minute, yay, yay, hosanna. Oh, you're wonderful. Come and save us. And then, oh, they realize that actually, no, he hadn't come to give them salvation immediately. He hadn't come to set up God's kingdom right away. He'd actually come to die to save us from our sins. And, oh, it was a case of disappointed expectation. Now, talk about love turns to hate. You've all seen that, haven't you? People are oh, madly in love. Oh, man, they're, they're madly in love. And, oh, then they fall out with each other. Oh, he was a terrible bloke, you know. He was a terrible man. And he's like, oh, she was a terrible woman. Ah, oh, she was awful. You think, look, look mate, you know, like, <laughs> last month you were madly in love with each other. So, you see, that's what happens When expectation is disappointed. And they had this expectation on Jesus that he was going to save them immediately, destroy the Romans, set up his kingdom, etc. Oh, hang, that didn't happen. And then, oh, they got angry with him. Yeah, crucify him. Oh, then, well, crucify him. He rises from the grave. The disciples start preaching. Oh, wonderful, we want to... uh, Oh, yeah, 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 we want to be baptised into him. Now, uh, it's what I get sick of about my own nature, but generally human nature, that we are so unstable. We are so unstable. One minute we're into this, next minute we're into that. Don't be like that. Don't don't be like that. You know, God is the only solid rock that you're going to ever have in your life. The same with Jesus. They are the only ones who will not disappoint. All other human dreams, relationships wealth, whatever, all that stuff will disappoint in the end. But he is the rock of ages in the sense that he is the one who will not disappoint. So then, they, at the moment, I'll crucify him. And as they say, as recorded in, in one of the other Gospels, he says, shall I crucify your king? And they say, yeah, we have no king but Caesar. The next minute, oh, we want freedom from Caesar. We hate Caesar. We hate the Romans, blah, blah. But when it came to Jesus, oh no, we have no king but Caesar. And you see how fickle people are, you know? We've all experienced that with fickleness in other people, in relationships, one sort and another. And yet, we also have that in us. And we don't like it in ourselves, but it's there. And the thing is that if we are in relationship with the Lord Jesus he is not like that he is always there 24-7 stable solid as a rock for us and you know that kind of rubs off on us and we become like that as well Pilate is really trying to uh, defend Jesus uh, and to, to not let this outcome happen and you notice that they lifted their voices When he keeps saying, what what wrong has he done? They don't give a reason, they just shout louder. And that is so psychologically credible, because that's how it is. You ask somebody for a reason, uh, uh, they just shout louder. They don't give you a reason. Just shout the same old thing louder. Absolutely. And that is what I say, when people say, why do you believe the Bible? Why do you study it all the time? Why do you talk about it all the time? Well, I say because it is so psychologically credible. When you read, I don't know, ancient myths and all that, it's all sort of make-up, it's all fantasy. This is not fantasy, this is actual reality. It makes sense. And as I say, the little detail about them raising their voices when they're pressed on the issue about what, what evil has he done. What's, what's the issue with Jesus? Crucify him. What evil has he done? What's, what's your problem with him? And they shout even louder. Crucify him. Kill him. Even louder. Yeah, yeah absolutely typical. So, <clears throat> Pilate gave sentence that what they asked for should be done. And he released the man, this is Barabbas, who had been thrown in the prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. So it seems, at first kind of blush, that they got their way, that their will was done. Because their will was, of course, to crucify Jesus. And yet we're told many times that Jesus died on the cross according to the will of God, according to God's will. But here it says that they got their will, their way. Their will was done. So you see there how God sort of works, that man has his will, and yet God has his will. And he works through the will of man to do in the end according to his plan, without, and this is a bit of a mystery, but without treating us as puppets. In other words, we have free will. God so respects human beings that we have free will. And yet his will works through that free will. You can't give a little mathematical explanation of how that happens. But it does. And it happens with integrity on God's side. In other words, God is not treating man as a puppet. God is not just pulling strings and forcing his way through. It was their will to kill Jesus. And they got their will. But it was also God's will. And Yeah, this is something that we all struggle with, well, do I have free will or not? Well, yes we do, but then God is also higher than that. And this is a wider sort of issue, um, but I think it's uh, significant because if we've only got free will, then that's pretty miserable because we're so weak. If it's just our free will, then... I'm afraid I'm so weak. Give me a temptation, I'll fall for it. So, yeah, we want free will, but the problem is we're so weak. We'll end up in a real mess if it's just left of human free will. And there's, I mean, there's no shortage of examples of that. And so, there is this, shall I say, higher hand that operates in human life. But that higher hand, uh, which is God's hand, operates in such a way that we are not forced against our genuine will. It somehow is beautifully done. Very beautiful, sort of orchestrated all, all together. So, they... And when they let him away... And, uh, sorry, mate. The over. It's over. When they led him away, they laid hold of one Simon, a Simon coming from the countryside, and laid on him the cross to carry it after Jesus. <laughs> they laid the cross on this guy, Simon. I've said that the Gospels are written as four of them Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and to get the full picture, you have to put the four of them together. When you put them together, you get slightly different accounts, but they they don't contradict each other. It's like if we were all to write down what happened in this room in the last ten minutes. We wouldn't contradict each other, but everyone would write something from a different angle. Somebody would say the guy was wearing a, uh, a, a black waistcoat. Somebody else would say the guy was wearing a blue shirt. Yeah, it's not, not a contradiction and so when you put the gospel records together on this point Jesus comes out of the courthouse carrying the cross and by the way this Greek word staros translated cross it, it literally means a, a, a tree trunk a tree that's actually what it was not, not necessarily like you see like a, a, a sort of a crucifix it was just a tree so he comes out of the Courthouse carrying basically the tree trunk. But one of the Gospels says that they carried Jesus to Golgotha. That's the actual place where they crucified him. Another one says that uh, Simon carried the cross, the, the, the tree trunk. <laughs> and here it, it, it's, uh, it says that they laid, well, no, it says he, they laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. So here you've got Jesus carrying you know, part of the tree trunk and the guy, Simon, behind him is carrying the end of it. But then in another Gospel it says that they carried Jesus there and in another of the Gospels it says that Simon carried the whole thing there. So, putting the whole thing together, I think you get the impression that he comes out of the courthouse he alone is carrying the cross the, 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 the tree trunk basically but then it becomes too heavy for him and they grab hold of this guy Simon and put him to carry part of it behind Jesus and then Jesus collapses he cannot carry it any further they carry Jesus to the place of crucifixion And Simon carries the whole tree trunk. So, from that, you come to the conclusion that Jesus found his own cross too heavy. And yet, he says to us, Pick up my cross and carry it. But he himself found that cross too heavy for himself, he found it too heavy. Well, that is a huge comfort. That is a huge comfort. That, you know, he was crucified in weakness. And yet, he lives by the power of God. That's quoting uh, from Paul to, to the Corinthians. That he, he met his death with human weakness. He was too physically weak to carry his cross. In the pub, uh, on Sunday, we were talking about Gethsemane, when Jesus is in an agony of, uh, of sweating like drops of blood, he's totally broken down and I said why was this and he's got a lot of answers but one thing is that he, he met his death with, with fear with fear and I said this was not Socrates who was told you've got to die and so he gathers his friends together and calmly takes the cup of hemlock or poison and drinks it and then he calmly dies men meet death in different ways soldier believes in what he's doing, believes in his officers, believes in his cause, may meet death in a certain way. Somebody with a strong philosophy or somebody who is in a certain psychological bind will meet death in the way they do. Other people brick themselves silly about death and are frightened of dying. Whereas Jesus, I think, was one of those. He was crucified in weakness. But he lives by the power of God, and Paul goes on and says, "...and we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward us." So, Jesus then was too weak physically to carry his own cross. And they grab hold of this fellow Simon from Cyrene, which is North Africa. And he carries the cross after Jesus and Jesus says carry my cross so I think that this guy represents all of us and it says that the guy was coming from the country from the countryside he was probably an agricultural worker and he, well he just happened to be in Jerusalem and he didn't know all that was going on and they said hey you mate carry that, this guy's cross yeah. me? yeah you okay And so that guy comes to represent us because we were all going someplace else. We were not pious people searching for God, you know, from when you were a teenager or whatever. We were all going someplace else. But then God came into our lives and says, here you are, carry the cross of my son. So then, he carried it after Jesus and there was a great crowd of the people following him and women mourned and wailed for him. But Jesus turning to them and said, daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me. Or wait for yourselves and for your children. When you're carrying something that is very heavy, really heavy, that's too heavy for you, you're just struggling to carry it and you don't notice that you might have just stamped on and crushed a child's very precious toy under your boot. Because all you're thinking about is the weight. And you don't notice that I... I kicked this, or I bumped into that, or I just... As I say, I I crushed that little girl's doll. Well, I didn't mean to, but I've got to get on with my job. Okay? And it is a a sign, I think, of the absolute majesty of the character of the Lord Jesus that when he's carrying this thing that is too heavy for him, he turns... It's pretty hard to turn when you're carrying a tree trunk on your shoulder, but he, he makes the effort to turn... And say to these women, don't cry for yourselves. Uh, Sorry, don't cry for me. He's trying to communicate something to those women. He cares for other people when he himself is at maximum extent. That's the thing. And Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. That this is the same Jesus with whom we have to do so then, the uh, the bread represents his body, and the cup represents his blood. Okay? and all the time you keep coming back to him as a person. That this is what it is to be a Christian, to be focused upon him as a person. It's not a case of you know trooping along the church. It's not a case of ticking boxes. It is a case of being focused upon him. That is what it is to be a Christian. Let's just give a prayer for the uh, the bread and the juice. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for these symbols of Jesus and we thank you for such a son who lived and died in that perfect way that he did and we pray that we may not be like the crowds who were fickle and kept changing father we might be loyal to you and to him and to find that eternal stability that eternal rest to our souls in him and in relationship with him for his sake amen Amen. right let's um let's just give thanks for the uh, kfc Heavenly Father, through the Lord, we again thank you that you look out for us, especially spiritually in giving us your Son, the bread that you sent from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and never hunger and live forever. And we thank you that you also gave us this physical food. For Jesus' sake. amen. Amen.